Okay, guys, here we go. This is Silicon Reel, the video podcast dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host a show called London Reel in these same studios. It's with uh, three dudes, sometimes girls. Uh, we've got guests like uh, Tim Ferriss. We've got Max Kaiser from Russia Today screaming about Bitcoin. We've got Howard Marks talking about smuggling cannabis. It's pretty crazy, so check that out if you'd like. But we're here to talk about tech. My co-host is entrepreneur Colin Pyle, who runs online language schools, gourmet coffee companies, uh, drives motorcycles across China, and is representing Movember. That's pretty good. I think that's the best intro I've ever had for me. Really? Not bad. Yes, Movember is coming along. It's coming in. Uh, it's looking, looking better. Did you trim it? No, I tried today, actually, okay. but they, they were too busy. Okay. But uh, I still need to raise a bit more cash. It's pretty pathetic. I'm at about 40 pounds. So, um, Jeez. You just looked at me like... I know. Like, <laughs> neither one of you. No, I just, <laughs> okay, how can we do um, that? How let, can we let do me that? see what I yeah, can do. So I, I'll, I'll post, I've posted it on uh, the last video with, with Brian from Pixelpin on the YouTube. I'll tweet it out. And just, yeah, five pounds, two pounds, three pounds, whatever you can afford. It's a good cause. I met, the, I met one of the founders a few weeks, but actually about a couple months ago. And it's a great story, and it's a, for a good cause. So. Okay, done. And you got, you got stuff going on with coffee right now, or what's up? Yes, uh, the Kickstarter campaign is going live uh, as we speak. So, uh, you know, we're taking the piss of Judd George Clooney. If you have an okay. espresso machine and you're tired of drinking crap coffee... Uh, then, then hit up the Kickstarter yeah. campaign. We're developing sort of a specialty coffee organic blend for an espresso pot. So. Awesome. Yeah. I have an espresso machine, and I just don't like the coffee. I buy the premium coffee. And the other day, I was like, Jesus. You know, so, if I do make it, I know normally I'm drinking Bulletproof for the London Real episodes, but for yeah. this, I try to keep it real. So cool. good. Check we'll be checking out. that out. Awesome. Our guest today is Mr. Ivan Mazur, who is a Russian-born, London-based serial entrepreneur, investor, and author. Uh, you're the CEO and founder of Ometria, which is a, an e-commerce analytics software company. Uh, you're also founding partner of Innova Capital, uh, which is an early stage uh, venture cap fund uh, investing in UK-based technology startups. Did I get that right? That's straight up. That's, that's really good. Ivan, welcome to Silicon Reel. Thank you for having me. You know, it's a big pleasure having you here. You know, one of our, our first guests on London Reel was a guy by the name of Mike Mokadis, and he was this Iranian guy who had left Iran when he was like eight years old and made like a six-month tour across Europe to escape to Sweden. And he was actually one of the founding partners of Sony Ericsson, you know, one of the first smartphones. And he helped create airplane mode on your phone. So if you ever switched to airplane mode, that was something they did. But he had this concept called an immigrant mind. And his uh, whole idea is that when you come to a country as an immigrant, you think about everything differently, you know, uh, and all three of us are immigrants in this country. You know, you don't have a plan B. You're willing to do things you wouldn't normally do in your country. Your pride goes out the window. You know, you'll drive a cab if you have to. And uh, you also, I think you see holes in, 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 the, in like the London scene where other people just, you know, notice, oh, yeah, that's the way it works. You know, the tube doesn't run at night. You can't get a taxi on a mobile phone. The NHS is this way. Right. And uh, I was just thinking about that today um, because we're all kind of in that, in that pool. And, you know, Ivan, I was wondering for you as a guy who wasn't born in London, do you think that gives you kind of a different way of looking at things or has that helped you as an entrepreneur? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, this immigrant mind that you just mentioned, I feel like I, I have that, right? And my journey wasn't quite the same as, as a six-month uh, trek to get here. But uh, the day we left was the day the tanks rolled into to Moscow and the White House, the Russian White House, got yeah. fired on. And it was the whole perestroika happening. Communism was collapsing. There was a revolution going on, basically. And my mother said, that was it, time, time to get out. So she took me, we picked up, we moved here. I saw cornflakes and yogurt for the first time. Like that, that didn't exist. 
we went to the corner store and we landed and we saw all this stuff. We're like, whoa, what, what is that, right? And then she worked and I worked my way through the, uh, the, the education system, basically. And, you know, you, you start off as someone who doesn't speak English and, and it's hard. You don't fit in. Nobody really kind of helps, especially back then. You know, now London is a multicultural community. People are welcomed here. Back then, we were kind of the odd ones out. And so I picked up the language and I went through international schools and I got into kind of a, the, the standard British system. I was the first Russian guy to get a, a King's Scholarship to Ethan. And I basically just kept going, you know. Uh, and the other thing is I reckon it's easier for us to fit into all sorts of social circles. And I don't know if you find the same thing. You know, any, anyone is born here, they have their, their circle, right? They grow up around it, their parents said it, or whatever it is. Whereas I, I don't feel like I really connect or relate to anyone, but I feel like I fit into all of them. And I, I enjoy hanging around with all sorts of people. I enjoy meeting all sorts of people. I find it really easy to just get along with everyone. Um, and some of my British friends are, aren't quite the same from that point of view. I find that I don't have that many British friends. I like them, but I find maybe it's because they have backup plans and they have, like you said, family, social groups. When you come here, you don't know anyone. First of all, I I think you're attracted to other immigrants. Like I look at my friend base and it's like South African, South African, Canadian, you know, all these different people. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think as an immigrant, you often, you don't have that, again, that support system of going to school here for 30 years or whatever. So a lot of the British kids maybe have enough friends already to to sort of say that and they're just busy right you can only i think only really have a handful of really good friends because it takes time to foster a good relationship and some people just don't have the time yeah you know there's one other aspect of that immigrant mind which is weird because people think immigrant and you think you know a, a lower skilled worker that kind of thing but when i got here as an immigrant i worked in the city of london and i had this idea and i bet you do too maybe even you is that you look around and you're like you know what i think i can do this better mm-hmm. than these people you right. know i think i've got the i I will work harder. I will sleep on someone's sofa. I will do this. I can't go home, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't go back and be shamed. I got to make it here. And so right. I find that you almost take it to another level. It's almost like a weird superiority complex. I don't know if you ever thought that. It, it was more that I didn't want to fail, right? So okay. I got here and I just, I remember the first couple of exams and everything, I was coming like bottom of everything because I couldn't understand. You'd go and study like chemistry, but without knowing the, the technical terms in English, you'd have no chance, right? And I just, I didn't want to be at the bottom. And so I just had to work extra hard to get to the top. And that happened in education, and that's basically happening now in everything that I'm doing. So it definitely gives you a lot, of, a lot more energy, a lot more sort of stimulus to just get on with it and succeed. I'm sure you've heard every Russian stereotype joke in the book. Hit me with one. We yeah. one. <laughs> I hope you have one ready. I'm ready to come yeah. prepared. <laughs> I, I know all the American yeah. ones. So, I mean, they don't even phase me anymore. Yeah. In a weird way, I almost play up on my yankness. You know, as a yank, I can get away with so much. And maybe you can as an immigrant. But I mean, like you said, you were here back in the day. Mm. But now it's such a multicultural city, you know. Mm. But back in when you were here, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah, 22 now. Yeah. Then it yeah, was crazy quite here. unique. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't hear Russian being spoken on the sidewalk here. You'll hear it. You yeah. hear so many languages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now actually, so uh, around Central, around West, uh, probably one in 10 people are Russian. You walk around, on my walk home, 20-minute walk, I probably see four or five families wandering around all speaking Russian. Mm. So it's, it's changed a lot, you know, compared to what's what. I think it's one of the only multicultural capitals in the world. I've lived in New York and I love New York, but when people get to New York, especially as immigrants, they want to be Americans. Like they assimilate really fast. Like your taxi driver from Niger, he'll be like, I'm American. And I'm like, how long have you been here? Six months. (laughs) And it's like, but here I think everyone keeps their individuality. You know, the women rocking the burkas in Knightsbridge, they don't care Mm -hmm. that, you know, people are doing this and. I don't know. It's nice yeah, that way. Toronto is hugely multicultural as well, but they're, they're even more segregated, I think, 
in Toronto, it was like Greek town and little Italy, mm -hmm. and, and they just really sort of separate. Um, they don't intermingle as much as I find here. I find it here. It's very much kind of just you're just here. Just yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, this is turning into a London Rail episode. Okay. So <laughs> let, let, let's, get, let's get down to business. Um, you, you, know, you, you do a lot of things, Ivan. You've got a, a really interesting story, and uh, I know you're involved in a bunch of different pieces. But I wonder if you could talk a bit about Ametria now, which is, you know, your e-commerce analytics uh, software company. And then something you had mentioned to us earlier. Uh, talk about big data. Yeah. You know, a good buddy of mine just finished um, uh, a master's degree in computer science. You know, right. Paul, and he's gone to New York to work for, like, a big data company. It's just a huge field. Um, there's a a lot going on. I think a lot of big corporates have no idea what to do. To yeah. be honest, I think they're being sold a lot of bad things by a lot of companies. What is going on, um, you know, with uh, Ometria? And we always ask, you know, what have you done? What are you going to do? And why do you think you'll win? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I like those questions. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I don't know where I <laughs> <don't know> <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's, it's my favorite thing to talk about right now. Big data and e-commerce, right? And we sit at the intersection of all of that. And I, um, I started off wanting to do a, a web analytics company, right? So this is the big one. I've done a few businesses before, but I wanted to do something that was going to be scalable and, and truly, truly big. And so I thought, okay, what's the best business model right now? And that's software as a service because it's just exponential. You keep adding people, and if you treat them right and if you provide the right product to them, then they won't let go, and you just keep adding people on and on and on. And then I kind of looked around at some of the best kind of companies that had done that recently. And web analytics looked like a really good option. But it was very, very full of very successful companies. So it's a segment that's kind of already busy, right? Mm -hmm. You've got Kissmetrics, awesome company, awesome founder. Same with Mixpanel. They're, they're everywhere. And so I looked around the various other industries and verticals where those products wouldn't actually solve the problems. And online retail, so e-commerce, mm -hmm. that was where it wasn't working. So you can put in Google Analytics, something like that, and they can tell you how many thousands of people came to your site last month. They're not going to tell you who the best customers are. They're not going to tell you when the best customers on the site, what products are performing well, what trends are happening in terms of that, what your most profitable individual products are, and who the best people to buy those are as well, and how to get more of them. All of this sort of stuff could be turned into an algorithm, right? It's, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's just, it's just data, right? It's data about people, and you use it to, to do a better job for them, to provide a better experience. So by by using our tech, a retailer makes their customers happy and makes more money. So that's like a win-win-win. And then you couple that with the software as a service business model. And that's like a win for the founders, the employees, the shareholders, and, and everyone else. So this seemed like, like what I should be doing right now. And I actually, I took, uh, I took a year to go back to Cambridge. So I did, I did mathematics at Cambridge. That was my degree. I took a year to go back to one more year, just uh, focusing on statistics, probability, computational mathematics. So kind of what, what you'd call big data, but more, more the mathematical side of it uh, and started looking for my team to make this happen and last year I, I finished in July last year came back to London got the team together September um, and in February we, we launched this company so it's it's pretty exciting I probably haven't even answered your questions no, that's a great start. <laughs> no, really I was cool. just thinking are they recruiting like madmen out of Cambridge for these for these grads uh, so it's it's a very that's you know what let's switch topics for a bit because that's a fascinating subject right yeah. so when I was in Cambridge I made a lot of awesome friends just really cool people a a lot of them wanted to go into consulting. That was the big thing. So when I did my undergrad, that was 2003 onwards, that was everyone going into banking, right? right. And then we had the credit crunch, everything collapsed. Now everyone wants to be in McKinsey or Bain or whatever it is, right? Okay. That's the one thing they want to do. Very few people wanted to be entrepreneurial. So I was vice president of the Entrepreneurs Club. There's a club called QTEC, Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. And there was a president and a couple of VPs. And so I was one of the VPs. And it was great, you know, but it was small. There were maybe 20 of us out of 11,000 students. And you think, 
think, what's, what's going on? And there's an awesome organization, and you should probably have those guys on there. Um, uh, Entrepreneur First, Matt and Alice, right? Mm-hmm. Ex-McKinsey. They're actually, they're finding the people that don't want to join the Entrepreneurs Club, right? And they're persuading them, just take a few months out before you go and sign up with one of these consulting firms or something. Just come and, and spend a few months being an entrepreneur. We'll put you in a room with other people like you. And if you create something good, it's going to be really good. And you know what? Their track record proves it. Mm-hmm. So I think they're turning that on its head because it's very hard to find entrepreneurial startup style people in Cambridge in my experience and you need more and more organizations like that that can actually actively sift them out and, and sort of funnel them towards the cool tech companies that are here in London that are dying to get access to that kind of talent. Is that because yeah. you want them young straight out of school? Do you think once they go work for McKenzie for a few years they're different people? Um, yeah. Why, why, it, why start them that soon? It's, it's like opportunity a, cost too I guess right yeah. so you go work for McKinsey for a few years and it's just your salary is huge and it's just all of a sudden to step out and try something with an entrepreneur is it's that, hard. That, it's it hard, hard to make right? the decision. I mean, yeah. one, yeah, it's, it's you're sort of pot committed in poker terms, right? Like if yeah. you've put everything in this career and your next step doubles your salary from 150 to 300, you're like, why am I going to do any of this? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you heard the story about Amazon. I mean, I hope it's true because I only read about it on the internet. But when uh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos wanted to start Amazon, he went to his boss and he was working on Wall Street. And th- his boss looked at his business plan and said, this is an amazing business. It's going to do really well. But the person starting it isn't the guy who's on a million dollars right now, right? So you've right. got the best job you can possibly have why are you going to throw it away to do a startup and he was like you know screw that I'm going to go and do it anyway and now he's Amazon um, and I think that problem is faced by a lot of very smart people and not many people have the, the strength to go and make the decision he made so start them young that's yeah, what you're thinking yeah, definitely. or at least put the idea in their brain that they can do these things absolutely uh, as grumpy old men we talk about all the time <laughs> about well we have a we meet a lot of people at the drink about that are like I'm 23 and I'm going to do a startup and right. sometimes you, you, you think it might be good to have a couple years of experience right. in a in a corporate world. But I think I think that you know we're talking that's not necessarily about founders but about people sort of supporting the mm-hmm. founders which mm-hmm. I think is okay. you know one of the main things that runs the ecosystem in the valley is you know Stanford and Berkeley and all these great schools that are funneling into all these startups not necessarily as founders mm-hmm. but as sort of the engineers and but a lot they, of the they need to have an attitude as well right so their sure. attitude needs to be the sort of the startup style attitude yeah. so if somebody's waiting for, for 4.59 to start you know sort of doing the last bit of work right. and then 5 o'clock bam they're out yeah. or if somebody's at the interview I mean we had this I remember hiring the first person for a metric and the guy we hired is is awesome in every way. But until we found him, and we, we had people coming in and they were like, yeah, so we want four grand a month. Um, and this is before they even explained why they were good for the role. Right. You know, this was a junior role at the time. It was literally an internship position. And you have all these people who have such high expectations before yeah. delivering any value. And the startup person, you come in, you deliver value, and you show so much promise that, you know, as founders, we can't possibly not give a Give, give back, right? Yeah. Like, and that's missing, I think, a, a lot. And it, it's, a, it's, it's around here in London that it's best. But once you start coming out of that and you go to the universities, the mindset's still old school. It's still how much yeah. salary can I get? When can I get out of work? That kind of thing. Wh- whose fault do you think that is? I think it's because the tech community is new. You yeah. know, Silicon Valley's had that for a long time. Startups are fun, right? But they're a lot of work. They're, they're a big time commitment, a big cost commitment, a big emotion, stress kind of commitment as well. Um, and as an employee of a startup, that's, this, that's true for you as well. Mm-hmm. And so you have to become accustomed to that. That's got to be part of what you want to do, part of your nature. Um, and we've only been doing it for, what, 20 years, reasonably? Maybe, maybe less than that. 
Um, so I think by the time where we have the same historical pedigree as Silicon Valley, you know, give it another couple of decades, I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, definitely. In this area, it's infectious. Yeah. Like mm. everyone's talking about it around here. Um, I just want to go back to big data real quick. I mean, you said there's a lot of exciting things happening for people that don't know what it is or what's happening. Can you just give a, a layman's explanation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the big data is a term. It's actually it, it's incorrectly used all the time, right? Like it's it's hugely complex data sets that are impossible to to compute and analyze and manage using standard technology. And so, big data technology were created to make sure that you could actually make use of that, you know, process it. If I, I always forget the statistic, but, you know, YouTube for every hour of, of time that passes, 120 hours or something like that are uploaded. Right. So how do you keep up with that? And that's where the big data tech came in. But the reality of what's happening in the world right now is that it's kind of medium data. So we're, we're a medium data company. You know, it's, it's a hard sell. So we call ourselves big data SaaS for e-commerce. It's a really simple kind of elevator pitch. Right. But in reality, it's the little bits of data that you collect and you put together in the right way and you use to power something, whether that's a better experience to your customer or, you know, preferably in our case, a strategic decision about the business. That's what we're really trying to help people do. We want online retailers to understand what they should be doing to improve their business in a sort of general kind of holistic way. Um, it's, it's the medium and small size data put together in a big overview that I think is really driving the companies forwards. Okay. But otherwise, it's what you said. A lot of companies are selling their product, calling it big data, but probably not delivering on the value that they're trying to suggest they can deliver on. Yeah. And I want to get into that. Yeah. I want to know more. So where are you guys now and what's your plan for the future? You know, where are you located? Employees, you know, ra- financing rounds? Like, yeah, yeah, Just yeah. to get an idea of where you guys are at. Definitely. So we're just closing around now of 600K. Um, we're, we're relatively happy with that because we're kind of, we're quite over- oversubscribed. Uh, we're taking Angel. So although I've been in to see a couple of VCs, there's a couple of VCs I'll be super keen to work with. But equally, as, as an investor myself, and I've spent quite a lot of time doing tech investment, I know the, the balance that needs to be struck between it. And right now, we've got an awesome team. And so bringing on board an extra person could be amazing, but it could disrupt that as well. So we've really just, we've surrounded myself by the absolute best angel investors that know the e-commerce space, know the SaaS space. And we're just putting that round together now to close by the end of December. Um, And the team is nine people full time, but we're normally on about 12 or so in the office, you know, a couple of interns, uh, some contractors, and and just pushing forward, really, trying to expand to about 15 by the middle of next year. Um, First revenues are going to start hopefully next week. This is the exciting time right now. Mm. So you've been in development up until now in testing? Yeah, so we've been in development until May. So launched in February, um, launched the beta version, uh, so launched the company in February, uh, launched the beta version of the product in May, tested that, and then released the second commercial version early October. So basically free trials, one month free trials started in early October. We've just come to the end of those and we're just now converting everybody onto the paid accounts. Um, which takes us from being a startup, hopefully, to being a growth company. Sure. And that will be pretty cool. So, uh, and are, you, are, you, are you hitting the pavement, like trying to talk to these big companies? Or is this the kind of product where people can just show up and sign up? Or do you have to kind of close individual sales it's, with different retailers? It's both. You know, we, we spend so much time. Uh, so myself, uh, my co I've got three co-founders, four of us putting it together. So two of us are literally hitting the pavement. Um, but actually sometimes. So the other day we were voted sixth hottest Russian startup by Mashable, right? And so half the team is... Russian. Two of the four founders are Russian. Half the team is Russian. We've got Russian product, Russian website, a presence in Russia. It's a, you know we are that's our big market after the UK. Um, but after that, ten signups straight away. So you know it would take me a month of hard work to get ten signups, and then you get one article like that, and it's just like bam, done. Um, so it's it's a combination of both. The actual integration is easy. So for an online retailer, if you're on a platform that we support, you press a button, it's free. It appears after 28 days. You love it, and you 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 pay. Um, also, we hope we're just about. 
to find out now. Okay. Uh, and so you're, you've got these um, dual interests. You've got people in Moscow, people in London. Do you outsource your tech? To uh, no. So you know what? That's, that's uh, another key issue that I'm, I'm always quite keen to talk about, right? Um, so I did that before. Uh, of, of all of my ventures, I did a, a wannabe startup. You know, a lot of people who are like young and they're like, I want to do a tech startup. Yeah. So I did that without knowing what a startup was. I thought, let me just build a tool without understanding that around a software product, you need a company. This is a long time ago. And we built a task management platform, right? And it was mainly because I felt like I couldn't find anything on the internet that did what I needed to do. Collaborative, small team, you know, 10 people. How do you run your tasks? Now there's a million options. Asana is probably the best one. They've just wiped the floor with everyone, right? But back then we hired two guys in Uzbekistan, $1,000 each a month, right? Good, but not super amazing. And then we just realized what was wrong with the, with the situation, you know, outsourcing. So you do everything over Skype and then you put together a project plan, you send it over and then what would come back would be completely wrong. And then you do it again, you'd fix it up and then, you know, a month would pass and nothing would happen. And then some guys, uh, you know, built a company called Wonderlist and uh, took a million euros and built what took us six months and about a day, basically. And I realized, no, no, no you can't do this, right? right. So you weren't so, saving money outsourcing. Yeah, no. I you mean, were losing opportunity. Cost. Everything. We were losing yeah. everything. So, time is money, right? Exactly. Yeah, big time. Not to mention the frustration and yeah. everything else. And the that headache. Yeah. 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 We got stories about outsourcing. <laughs> and um, where do you want this company to be, like, in a few years? Do you want it to be the, you know, you want Amazon to be using you? or? or? So, actually, we're, we're almost bringing Amazon tech to the mid-tier retailers, right? So, it's, it's a great time to be doing this because a lot of, uh, you know, one of our customers is a company called John Smedley, 200-year-old company. For them, e-commerce is, you know, a tiny blip in the history of that brand. Um, and they, they get the value of data, but they weren't developed as a data-driven company. They're not like fab.com, which is literally a data-driven e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. So, a tool like ours allows them to learn in the most easy possible way of how to leverage that data to, to become more profitable and more successful. So, it's a great time to do it, but Amazon and all the big boys like that, they, they've got this down already. You know, there's not a lot we can offer them above and beyond what they have. So we expect us to be the leading brand across Europe. You know, the US isn't a major focus. We've got one customer from there, but it's not a big, a big focus for them. But, you know, UK, France, Germany, huge markets. Russia is growing, you know, 20, 30% plus a year. Turkey, even more than that. So all these markets are coming up. We want Ametria to be the one tool that drives the strategic decisions that all these companies are making over time. Um, and hopefully on track for a Series A in 2015. Okay, good. Let's get real. Now it's time to hit him with the hard questions, yeah? yeah? I'm going to go first, sure. unless you got something. No, not... Um, you know, I had a buddy before that, that went to, you know, um, where, where did Paul graduate from? I don't know. It was somewhere in the middle of London. With Imperial, Pearson. I think. Yeah, right. Imperial yeah. College. And, you know, he, he was working for these big, some of these big data companies, and they were having these clients like, I don't know, like these large conglomerate, you know, pharmaceutical companies or things that sell products at Boots. And they were running their big data and then coming to them and really just giving them old school marketing mm-hmm. advice. So they would be like, oh, yeah, and they would just give them these general concepts. And they weren't actually using the data for, like, specific grants granular things. They were saying, you should do this. Then they would come back in three months and say, well, that didn't work. And then they were saying, you should do this. How do you know that you guys aren't going to do the same? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, how do you discern what ultimately is almost like a human judgment, you know? I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. It, it, again, it's something I've thought about long and hard. When I, when I started this, I thought, you know what, we could automate all of this, right? There's humans doing merchandising, web analytics, all of this. Why do you need a human? Let's just make a machine that can do all of it and just run the company for them, right? So I want like a true statistician. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I very quickly learned people don't want to kick, you know, kick people out of their jobs, right? So the head of e-commerce, instead of saving money, and I thought, you know, it's a great opportunity to save money. You know, instead of paying ridiculously high salaries, 150 grand each or something, you could 
build some software to do the job. People don't want to do that. And that's absolutely fine with us as well. So now we've switched to being able to empower the people that are doing their jobs and let them do it properly. So we're... We're basically, I mean, as, as one single example now, we've built a feature that allows them to, with one click to identify customers that bought at Christmas last year and haven't come back since. So these are people that have forgotten all about your brand. You know, time moves very quickly these days. There's loads of online sites. Your competitors are literally one click away. It's not like back in the day when there was no competition. Mm-hmm. Now you sort of, you know, Google on, you know, pre- do, do a search on Google and press back if you don't like what you find. So for them, being able to reactivate all of those customers that haven't come back for 12 months at the perfect time, which is Christmas, because they know they bought last Christmas, that's like a guaranteed win. That's, you know, it's, it's an obvious one. And of course, we measure the revenue that comes back so they can actually see, yeah, you know, all those guys came back. So there's, there's some obvious ones that aren't just kind of pulling the wool over there. You know, it's, it's, it's genuine okay. insights that we're doing. Okay, but you are making human decisions because ultimately you have to say, let's do this, this, and this. Definitely. And they're a bit of a guess. Yeah. Okay. And, and then you, people don't like the black box approach, right? There's some awesome companies doing uh, multi-device attribution, for example. But even then, I mean, the tech is just absolutely phenomenal. You know, a friend of mine, I saw him for breakfast the other day, AdBrain, right? Literally, a company has grown to, uh, I can't even mention it, but the, the highest valuation I've ever seen within a one-year period, right? Amazing tech. But even then, as they're building it, a lot of it is currently kind of quite optimized by humans. They're making sure that those customers that they have, which are huge customers, those customers are getting the service they really need you know they're optimizing that ROI on it I don't think it's currently possible and whoever you know whatever companies are saying it's fully fully automated I don't think that's currently possible there's always a kind of I don't know if you know you know the the concierge MVP approach of the lean startup there's always that kind of concierge service there's a little guy sitting in the back you can't see him but he's always helping people out Mm. Have you seen that ad recently? It's on TV or something, and it's got some little baby, and he keeps hitting like a pad, an iPad and ordering encyclopedias. And then the guy at the encyclopedia calls up China, and he's like, "We're back!" And they start <laughs> start shipping all these trucks full of encyclopedias. And then it's, it's for Adobe. I like to Adobe, Adobe Marketing Cloud. Uh, yeah, yeah, we really love you, that. Yeah. Do you know what's happening? You know, I guess that's a classic example of yeah, black yeah, box yeah, yeah, where yeah, no yeah. one's really thinking about right. of what the data is telling them. Anyways, that was just one I came up with. Colin, what do you see in this business? Yeah, I always again, I'm not, I'm not sort of math brained or, or developer coding. So I don't always understand the value in the technology behind the scenes. So I guess maybe explain a little bit about why sort of what differentiate, differentiates you from competitors in the space, because presumably it's a pretty crowded space. Sure, the SaaS sure. you know, model has been proven and works and, and big data, you know, analyzing big data and utilizing it to increase your sales is also proven. So Maybe just say why, you know, tell us a little Definitely. bit about technology. Do you know what? So I get asked this question quite a lot, okay. as you can imagine, right? And so I, after this Mashable article came out, we got yeah. a whole bunch of VC interest, inbound interest. And it's all kind of analyst level. And some of them have been great, but some of them have been quite sort of rookie, you know, straight out of university. Sure. And this is one of the questions that's always on their list, from right? Rookie. Yeah, yeah. From the, <laughs> on everyone's list, not just yeah, from the rookie. No, just but before I answer, I always hit them back with name a competitor. Because it allows me to frame the context of my answer. So if, if, if you can think of a competitor, then I can, I can try and explain around that. Okay. Um, if you can't think of a specific name, I can give like a general description of what's going on in the industry. Sure. 
General then. General. General? Yeah. I don't okay. know competitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know so, some people in this space, but I don't, again, uh, I know this new company called Visual DNA, mm-hmm, but it, mm-hmm. I, again, I don't think it's... It's, it's not quite it's the same. Not quite but the so same. this is it. So right. the thing is, there's a lot of competition for the marketing budget and the mind share of the e-commerce companies, right? right. Yeah. So the head of e-commerce, the marketing manager, merchandiser, all of that, they're constantly inundated with, hey, we've got some tech that's going to use some data to help you make more money, right? Right, right? And so there's huge competition in that. And so immediately everybody out there thinks, wow, you know, this it's just too hot a spade, there's too much going on, you're never going to be able to build anything. But once you start actually getting into the industry, you can bucket everything quite easily. So there's some guys doing like product recommendation and there's some guys doing like basket abandonment tools, which is, you know, that email that comes back if you don't actually buy anything. And yeah. there's, there's all these little kind of widgets. There's a little pop-ups that come up and tell you, you know, 20% off if you add 20 more pounds to your basket. And there's companies doing all these right. individual things. But the thing is, in the middle of all of that, right, you, you have the, the brain, as it were. You have the thing that powers the decisions that you make about your business. And currently, you, you have two polar opposites in the industry. And you've got Google Analytics, which is free. And in Russia, there's a similar service. You know, Yandex is the Russian Google, as it were. So there's Yandex Metrica, which is the same thing. And it's, it's totally free, but it's a web analytics tool. It can tell you where your customers are coming from, but it can't tell you which ones are profitable. It can't tell you anything about products and stuff like that. So it doesn't help an online store. It would only help like a blog, you know, something like that. Um, And on the other side, you have Adobe Marketing Cloud, right? Adobe Marketing Suite. And it's 200 grand or something like that. Plus you need an analyst that's trained in Omniture, which is the... um, the analytics platform that has been bought by Adobe um, and does what, what we do. So you're talking, you know, a quarter of a million to start, probably three-year commitment. You've got this analyst making 70 grand a year minimum. It's, it's a big hit. So the bigger companies, they can, they can definitely afford that. Small companies are stuck with Google Analytics. And so the, the opportunity was literally, you know, where, where is the, the holistic platform for online retailers as a product, a product developed by what the retailers need, right? So we've got... A an amazing UI UX team in-house, amazing designer, uh, but we've also started from the right from the very beginning by identifying what the requirements are of the online retailers. So our, our investor director is ahead of e-commerce. We have a bunch of consultants and contractors involved that are at all levels. So some are analysts, some are merchandisers, some are kind of strategic directors of e-commerce companies. And we put together exactly what was needed just for that specific niche. So not the, the sort of the other subsets of, hey, let's use data to create an ROI marketing. You know, through attribution or through emails or so on. But we just created the strategic platform that could power the company going forward in future. Um, and so we, we do the majority of something like Adobe uh, or IBM Core Metrics or Web Trends, which are the three big companies that were in this space. We do almost everything that they do. Um, we're cheaper. We are much easier to set up. Um, we're not as customizable as those tools, right? So if you want a super custom setup for your very specific business, sure, those companies will do it, but it's a lot more expensive. If you're a mid-tier retailer, you're making 10 million a year, you know, you get the value of data, you don't really know how to dip your toe into it, we will put you on the right track straight away. I was wondering how you spend your marketing dollars because I just quoted an ad from Adobe. So obviously they spend their marketing money enough to get me. Of course, I'm not going to buy their product. We were talking about George Clooney before. Yeah, Clooney before. I mean, how do do you spend your marketing dollars? How do you get out there? I mean, you're a startup. I'm I'm, going to start asking this question to everybody. Yeah, it's a good good idea. I think that that if if I could watch that for all the guys that have come through, I would definitely love to hear those answers, right? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, You're the first. Yeah. Uh, So each industry does it in different 
different way, right? Mm. So I think what, what we're doing is quite relevant to, to literally the, the vertical that we're going after. So conferences, absolutely huge. Vital to get the brand out there, vital to get known. So the, the tech press is great, and you get a lot of interest, and you get a lot of interest from VCs and stuff like that. But the online retailers and the people that we're selling to in the online retailers, they don't really read the, the, the tech crunches and the mashables yeah. and so on, right? So we've got to get to them. And they go to very specific events, so e-commerce expo, internet retailing, things like that. So we're always present at those. From next year, we're going to start taking stands. So we've already signed up to a couple to take stands. This year, we were just going, um, and we built up a very strong network already. So people would make introductions at those events and say, oh, yeah, do you know about these guys, etc. Um, uh, we've trialed PPC, but it's not particularly huge in terms of, you know, right now we're integrated with Magento as an e-commerce platform. We're just going on board with uh, Hybris and Shopify, and we've got an API, but we don't particularly want too many clients using the API because it's hard work from both sides. PPC well, is paper customer. Yeah, paper okay. click. Sorry, yeah, paper, paper click. Yeah. So, okay. you know, Google AdWords, the paid advertising, yeah, right? Okay. So in order for us to identify an online retailer, 1 million to 50 million in revenue, who's on the Magento platform using Google pay-per-click, like Google AdWords, yeah. I mean, you're waiting a week yeah, before so. one guy clicks, right? It's, it's, it's slow. It's a slow burn. Um, so for us, it's more of a brand awareness play. And from next year, uh, partnerships and biz dev. So we've actually, we've got a partner in this building right here. I mean, I, I was literally just about to pop in before yeah. I, I might come and see them afterwards. Mm. Uh, a very cool Magento agency, you know, do really cool work. We've already got a client with them. So, you know, they build their website. We do the analytics. We're just going to keep rolling that out. So, you know, it's a, it's a good value proposition for us to, to get sure. together with the other tech providers that don't do what we do, but already have customer base. So we can cross sell with some of the system integrators that are building the sites because they get to offer a special service above and beyond and get a revenue share. Um, and then business development. I mean, then, yeah, we need, we need some guys going out there and literally just, you know, making phone calls, going to offices, trying to explain the value of what we do and just building up those leads. Yeah. I was wondering, because you're, you're an investor too, and mm-hmm. you're obviously an entrepreneur. And I was wondering what lessons you're trying to learn as the entrepreneur from the investor side of your split personality and being like, don't do this. Because if I was investing in that company, I would not want you to do this or do this, you know, because you kind of come from two different sides. Mm. I, so I love it. I mean, basically that's why I invest, right? Um, I, I've got a, a very specific approach and I don't know that many people that, that have the same approach, but I'm not investing for the capital return on that specific investment, I expect a much higher capital return through a metria and I'm optimizing the chances of that by making the investments that I make, right? So imagine my, my previous businesses were in, in education, in property, they weren't very tech. The one tech thing that I did was 42 Tasks, the task management app, and that wasn't even a startup, that was just a bunch of guys making a website and just waiting for people to turn up, you know? So then I realized how important it was to truly understand the business side and I knew I wanted the big data side. So I did the university thing, I went to Cambridge to do the kind of the mathematics aspect. But then how do you very quickly become a professional tech founder? You know, how do you sort of shrink 10 years worth of experience into one year? Well, you know, we, we built, with my CFO, we built up quite a big capital pool through a lot of the property development we were doing with Innova Capital. So the, the two founding partners of Innova Capital, about five years old now, we did a bunch of property development. We built gated communities outside of London. We built, uh, you know, we, we redid and remodeled apartments here within London. So we took some of that and we started investing. Small amounts. I mean, you know, literally tiny seed amounts. But the companies that we invested in, I built very strong relationships with the founders. And that was the point. The point was, you know, here, have some money. 
I'm not going to be an annoying investor. I'm not going to sit there trying to tell you what to do with my money or tell you what to do with your business. I'm doing this because I trust that you're a cool guy and you know what you're doing. I, I'll give you my suggestions and thoughts based on my experience, which is probably not as much as yours, but still at least I have it from lots of companies. And I'll listen to you in terms of what, what you think is happening out there, what you think is the best way of building a business. And so now I've done that 16 times. I've got 16 investments. One has failed. You know, it happens. And with EIS, I actually get 60% of the money back. So it's only 40% loss anyway but that 40% was totally worth it it was a uh, an e-commerce business believe it or not it literally explained why it was so important to have these kind of data-driven decisions available and it helped me put my team together we used them as a case study we helped them we tried what well, we tried to help them as the core founding team um, and of the other 15 one is very close to an exit now which will be my first exit so exciting times uh, how, how long from investment to exit to sort of curiosity uh, so for this one it's just been over a year and a half uh, not that long but I haven't started I mean it, it's my third year of investing now I'm still very new as an angel investor so three years actively investing three years and active, you haven't yeah. seen an exit yet no uh, I'm projecting seven years. So uh, right. in terms of my cash flow that I've allocated to this, I've yeah. made sure that I can I can do the same level of investing that I'm doing now for seven years, 40 companies in total. Okay. And then hopefully at the end of seven years, something, something's something got to start hitting. Something's Otherwise, better. I really made some bad decisions. It's <laughs> so yeah. a very statistical approach to investing. Yeah. You wrote a blog on this on your blog. Yeah. I'm going to read yeah. it later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You actually remind me of Jeff Bezos because this is how he decided to sell books on the web. He saw the, the, the you know exponential growth of the web. He's like, how can we best take advantage of this? Books have this you know really long tail and he was like that's what we should do this is the best day ever i'm going to take this clip you've just likened me to jeff bezos <laughs> I, can I both I'm, become famous i'm going to yeah. dine out on this for the oh. next <laughs> <several months. laughs> but it, it sounds like that's also why you decided to do you know the, the company you're in right now mm-hmm. because it's highly scalable exactly you know mm-hmm. all these different things happening at the same time mm-hmm. which is interesting because most people that sit in that chair there it's a passion project yeah. who are we kidding tribe sports higher life yeah the list goes on mm-hmm. you know the passion project except I was thinking of, I'm going to give you another prop here. John Collison of Stripe um, sat in that chair. And the reason he started Stripe is because his previous company, they found it really frustrating to make internet payments. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to, I actually found this really frustrating in 1999 at my dot-com startup, but I wasn't John Collison. So I didn't, (laughs) I decided to start up that company. I just found it frustrating, but it sounds like you are looking at the failures of your previous companies and trying to. Absolutely. I I think failure is a really important thing to learn from. I've had, I've had a crazy journey with my last companies. Amazingly, each one of them is still going in some way, shape, or form. If you go to 42tasks.com, that it works. I still use it. I'm probably one of 10 people that still use it. $2 a month. That was a great plan. You know, we probably screwed up that pricing model hard. Um, I, had a, I had an education consultancy, which went really well for two years. You know, revenue positive, no capital investment. We were helping people that didn't understand how international education systems work. Literally like me, like when I got here, we were helping helping them prove that they were worthy of getting into the top universities, right? And it was just fantastic. And then suddenly year three, my business partner decides to screw me. Um, no, you know, doesn't pick up phone calls, doesn't pick up emails. Clients will come back to me saying, what the hell's going on? We want a refund. No money in the bank account. I'm like, right, what, what do you do here? Huh. Um, so yeah, You learned that lesson early. Exactly. Ups <laughs> yeah. and downs, right? Better, so better, 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 a billion, billion dollar company. Exactly. All right, I got to ask you this question. You're uniquely, uh, uniquely um, able to probably answer this. And I want the honest truth. What's happening in Russia? 
Like, what is the scene like there? What's the tech scene like? Does the political issues affect, you know, any kind of commerce? Do you do, do you have to worry about what the Kremlin does? I don't know. I'm just curious. A, a little bit. So it, it's it's very easy to to talk about Russia sitting here in London, right? And that's that's the one thing. So I I, I personally, you know, I remember Russia when it was in the communist days, and that was both completely crazy, but also very simple and and. It was a very simple life where you were well looked after. Education was excellent. You know, healthcare was excellent. You had everything you wanted, but you couldn't have any more, right? right. So there's that's a of, there's a lot of nostalgia in Russia by the older people for the absolutely. Old days. I mean, my mother, you know, she's in her seventies. She loves it. I mean, she still thinks that communism was amazing. She's got a PhD in in mathematics. That's kind of I followed in her footsteps when it comes to that. She used to work on the Russian space program, you know, and she thinks back and she was like, you know, scientists were remunerated better than anyone else, much better than politicians, much better than anyone sort of doing any kind of entrepreneurial activities. You know, in communism, it was hard to be an entrepreneur. But still, you know, the scientists, the teachers, they were the doctors. They were the ones really super respected. And so there's a lot of value in that. Um, And it's not like that now. But when we got out of there, when my mom and I left, uh, it was the early 90s. It was literally the beginning of the 90s. And it was just, it was the Wild West. You know, what you hear about and what you see, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever had a chance to watch some of the movies made in Russia about the early 90s in Russia. It's Are there there any good ones? Yeah, I mean, I'll literally, I'll give you a list okay. later. Um, it's yeah. it's amazing. It's accurate? Yeah, it's accurate. That's mm-hmm. what it was like. People would drive around in their, you know, Mercedes 600s, as they were known, right? And Which is moronic, because they're actually not called that. You okay. know, it's just like a Russian thing. And they would. I mean, they would shoot people. It's, it, and they would roll up to, like, a corner shop. Uh, you don't really get corner shops in Russia, but, like, a, I don't know, a bakery or something like that, or a gas station, a petrol station, and they'd take it. And there will be nothing you can do. Just take it. Oh, they would just now. take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Old, old Gang- school. Gangster. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So somebody had to come in and sort that out. So it was a land grab, a huge land. Yeah. Okay. And so Putin came along, and he got rid of all of that, and he had to. So the, the the level of political control that exists now, and that's why you hear all this stuff about like the pussy riot and everything. Mm. Without that, Russia would be horrible for the people. Without that, you couldn't have a business. You couldn't have a life. You'd be scared of of all the gangsters. Now you're a bit scared of the government. But you know what? That's a safer life to, compared to what it was like in the early 90s. I've heard this from other Russians. Rather, be afraid, in the city. rather be afraid of the government than the gangsters? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The government, I mean, the government's not going to come after the small person right. running a petrol station. You know, the government might come after some big guy trying to make moves, political moves, something like that. And, you know, we've seen some of this happening in London, some of the court cases, stuff like that. Yeah. But the, your, your average Joe just trying to get on with life, no chance. You know, they're, they're going to be left alone. Yeah. And tech, I mean, you, so you mentioned tech. Tech's, yeah, yeah. How's you know, tech in Moscow? Tech, tech in Moscow is great. Um, so the, the big thing I'm waiting for is for the kind of, you know, the buzzwords right now. The buzzwords need to spread, but in a good way. Way. Not just people saying them, but like UX and data science and growth hacking, right? Like these are concepts that are pretty well established here. If you want to go and get a good UX guy, you'll get a good UX guy. What's UX? Uh, user experience, oh, right? Okay, exactly. Yeah. That is what is that is what Russia is like. I'm, I'm part yeah. Russian. Yeah. That is what okay. Russia is okay. like. Right. Okay. So imagine imagine your full time role is making front facing like web products. And that's the level of knowledge. So you, the user experience kind of science that's been developed in the States and here in the UK, like proper human-machine interaction. You can go, you can do a master's degree at one of the top universities here in human-machine interaction, literally user experience. Like all of the science is not really available over there. So they're five years behind. Exactly. Eight years exactly. behind. Exactly. Technically okay. and in terms of intelligence, they're right up there. Yeah. Same thing. So they can build amazing code. They can build, you know, they're, they're super smart and super, you know, on it. But they just, they don't 
don't have this new level of knowledge. You know, the growth hacking knowledge that we have here, it's just phenomenal. People know all sorts of little tricks. They know how to market. They know how to build a startup. So, you know, building the product requires UX. Building the startup requires growth hacking. And if you're in data, then you need to be a data scientist, right? And so trying to do that over there in Moscow, it, it's hard. You don't, you don't have the people with the right kind of training. Um, and we're just waiting for all of that to, to pass over. So that's why we are based here in London and we're selling to the Russian market. It's the ridiculous way around, right? Most people are like, what are you doing? Why don't you hire devs out there for half the price and sell to here? But actually, we believe that this is the solution. The solution is to build a kind of world-class product. London is, is the place. There is no difference between Silicon Valley and London. The talent is as good here. You just don't, you know, you don't get people asking $150,000 straight out of university. Right. Um, so, yeah. What, what companies in London impress you? If you had to give me three, what, what do you really like, like, you know, like what's going on, whether it's a specific sector or a, a good business plan? Wow, this is tough. I'm going to have to mention companies I've invested in. Is that hard? <laughs> is that hard? Well, can we, yeah, can yeah, we ignore can, that? As long as they're honest. I know. I've got it. Because, uh, so let, let me tell you in that case, <laughs> uh, it matches my point, right? So if I'm, if I'm investing in order to learn from the best founders, um, I've seen three do incredibly well in my time, right? Okay. So Plan, I'm an investor in that, right? White plan. Okay, what do they do? So they are an app, and basically, when you want to do something last minute and it's tonight and you want to oh, find out. Plan. Yeah, white right? plan. Yeah, white plan. It's timeout, but in an app, heavily curated, best things you can possibly find, and an amazing user experience. We actually, I, I asked the founder for his UX guy, and then we, we brought him in for a bit to, to help us out during the early days. Right, and um, they've gone to New York recently. They've gone right? to New York recently. How's that exactly going? right. It's going well. It's going well. I mean, basically, it's still early days, so yeah. you know, the full kind of picture hasn't come together yet. But London, based on how well things went here, New York, it's going to be amazing. Okay. Um, it's a tough company to build. There's a lot of things coming. You know, it's not just a tech play. It's pulling together all of those suppliers of all of those events and making sure that they integrate and bring them on board and curating and finding all the new ones that come up. So it's, it's a tough one. But the founding team there just, I mean, in terms of executors, unbelievable. Okay. You know, they mapped out what they were going to do for a year and then they just did it. They did it day to day to day to day. They could tell you what they're going to do on the 17th of April next year and I bet you when 17th of April comes that's exactly what they'll and do and they're British? Uh, no, no actually yeah exactly I was going to say because I saw them at uh, Le Web they yeah. were um I guess the summer, the Lueb was here, and they, yeah, they yeah. were they spoke and yeah, where are they from? Yeah, I, I, so Eastern European, but I can't yeah, remember exactly I can't remember where. Exactly where mm-hmm. Okay. So I love the user experience in Yplane. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic, and I have had the app now for since that day. Yeah. In Lueb, I downloaded it and, and I got like ten pound coupon or something. Yeah, yeah. Did so you I was use like, it? yeah, sure. No, but haven't used. Have you not used it? Yeah. I'm gonna exactly. make you use it after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. I, I need. Same to. with me. I downloaded yeah. it after Courtney Boyd Myers was right. here, and I haven't used it. And I see it on the tube, and I haven't used it. All right, so I, I've okay. used it. I've used it once. It's a little bit embarrassing. Okay. Uh, girls allowed concert at the O2, best concert I've ever been to. It's literally okay. reunion. Um, he's girlfriend a, he's loved admitting it. a lot of things. Girl, girlfriend yeah. loved it. Girlfriend <laughs> hey, loved it. Smart. Okay, um, why plans one, two more. Okay, so two more. I mentioned this already, but let me mention it again. Adbrain, right? So this okay. for me is is the most impressive bit of tech, right? So this is hardcore tech. I mean, we're talking data algorithms that are on on a next generation. Like one of the hardest things right now is identifying what all the devices that we use, how they link up together. And in our company, Anometria, we have the luxury of 
you know, being online retailers, you have to log in to the site to really do anything. So as soon as you log in to do a checkout on your mobile, we know that's your mobile. We put everything together. Mm. But in digital advertising, you know, you've got a phone, you probably change it every couple of, you know, maybe every year, every six months or something, depending on when your contract runs out. You've got your tablet, you've, uh, you've got a whole bunch of computers, one in the office, one at home and so on. Like how to work out how all of that comes together and, and without having a single unifier that tells you, you know, wow, this is this person, that is the best mathematical statistical challenge that I can think of right now and they're solving it and you know they've grown to a team of 20 within a year they, they're knocking out the funding rounds they're knocking out the customers the customers love them they've got a stack of, of signed letters of intent for more people who want to use them but they, they're not ready for that they're still in beta right now um, I mean this, one of the crazy things that they were saying to me so there's an accelerometer in the, uh, in, in the iPhone right in all smartphones yeah. and based on how you walk they can actually fingerprint who you are so if they pull that out i mean they can you know they can identify a person fingerprint exactly exactly (laughs) can you imagine and it's coupled with every you know it it gets connected to what wi-fi you you're using and so on and what gps location you're at there's a lot of other data points but the fact that they're taking it to that next level is just fascinating so what is it an app or application on every one of your devices it it picks up information from every device so it's like it's it's a it's a very heavy piece of tech that sits on a server in the back end and it connects to uh you know basically connects to all levels of the technology stack behind digital advertising and it allows people that want to advertise on mobile to identify the people and advertise to them across mm. all the mobile devices that they have um, and that sure. side of it is interesting but it's it's that it's the statistical play around trying to sure. work out when it's there's more in that space exactly that, yeah exactly okay third company okay third company yeah. um okay this is literally the the coolest guy ever uh it's, it's an investment called, as well it is yeah i mean i've got to do it but I, honestly because <laughs> it's spoken it, like a true investor it's got to yeah, be done yeah, right okay, got to yeah, be yeah, done if you what it, you got? If you've got an audience, you gotta you gotta speak to them. Um, so Whisk, uh, Whisk, I invested in this. So actually, I tried to invest in the first round. I wasn't allowed in. Right, it was like that. Um, so Nick Holzer, the founder, was on The Apprentice. Do you guys ever watch The Apprentice? Sometimes. Yeah. No, not really. I, a couple of years ago, he got to the final. Um, awesome concept, which I'll tell you about. Basically, Alan Sugar was like, what is this? I don't get it. I don't like it. And he chose to go with something else. And that obviously didn't work out, right? So then Nick came out and he, he carried on with his company. And it's a single click button. And again, so I, I love this because of the tech behind it, right? But one click, you go on a recipe site, you like it, you press a button, it checks you out of your favorite supermarket. And the tech behind that means, one, you need to integrate with that site really easily. Two, you need to scan the recipe and identify what each of those products are and match them to the products of the supermarket. But like on top of that, you've also got to match what the, the volumes are, you know, how much of it to buy. They've got a slider. So if the recipe is for four people, but you're cooking for three, it'll tell you how much to buy automatically. If you, if you like, so it does that automatically? Automatically. Hmm. Hardcore machine learning. Wow. You know, it's just absolutely... What happens if the offering, if you only need 75% of the butter? Yeah, yeah, no, sure, sure. <laughs> so you they, still have the option. The whole thing. Yeah. So uh, literally a little thing slides in, right? Yeah. You choose your favorite supermarket or you have it preset and stored. So sure. if you like Waitrose or Ricardo or sure. Sainsbury's or whatever, you know, you just, uh, Tesco's, I think, uh, if you, you just click the drop down, yeah. it automatically locates the right products within that. If you don't want it, you click cancel. Or if there's multiple choices, so if it's, sure. I don't know, like a steak or something, and there's like the premium luxury steak or the right. standard one, so you just click and choose which one. Awesome. Um, and just, That's yeah, cool. the machine learning behind it, fantastic. Tech team, you know, really, really solid. The, uh, the technical co-founder, Craig, basically built this like ultimate tech team of like super, super nerds 
nerds in a good way. I'm like a super, super nerd, hopefully. And they sit there and they just crunch these numbers like crazy. Now they're doing wine recommendation digitally, like algorithm style. You know, with this food, this is the wine you should have. Yeah. Um, and they're in Birmingham, actually. Like they're it. not even a London-based company. You know, I keep wow. trying to persuade them to come over here. Where are they? But, uh, in Birmingham. Oh, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lower cost, lower office cost, low salaries. Sure. You know, really nice burn rate. They're, they're not worried about investment, really. They're just they're going to build this. Um, and all, all three of these are billion-dollar companies. You okay. Know? All right. I like that. A couple mm. more questions before we wrap up. How do you hire people? Oh, it's the hardest thing ever. I've got to, I've got to hire five more people in the next six months. Um, we found we found our first hire through uh, internships. Right? You've heard of these guys, um, and we we went through like Is that a company called yeah company? yeah literally like entrepreneurial oh, interns okay. right like that kind of thing. Um, and we interviewed like forty people, and loads came with MBAs, and they were like, yeah, we're awesome. We were consultants. You know, we want fifty grand a year. We want to sit on your board, and we were like, dude, this is an internship. Like, what are you playing at? Right. Um, and so true. Exactly. Yeah. And then he he just called, came along, and he was like, I'm an entrepreneur. I did a uh, I did a company doing a, a mobile game, and uh, that was really cool. But I got screwed by my development team. Then I did an agency doing some analytics. But then you know I found that quite hard to grow. Now I just want to get a bit of experience, and I'm going to go and do my thing again. And we were like, awesome, come join us. He's like you know a, a core pillar of the company. And then after that, we we went out and we 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 basically started looking for the devs, right? And so we put an advert on Stack Overflow. Well, I put an advert on everything, right? And we put an advert on Stack Overflow careers, and uh, we got a bunch of people applying and one of them was working at Vodafone in Portugal right and we looked at his back and he was working in marketing hmm. and this is for a front-end UX position like developer and and so we we looked through his background and it was like he's an awesome developer but he's working as a marketer what the hell's going on so we got him a ticket we literally we put him on an EasyJet flight we got him over for the weekend we like spent some time with him literally just like as a sort of as a, as a test experience and and he was great and he's sitting in the office right now he uh we we tied him down with some sellotape today so he carried on doing some work he's got an awesome Movember mustache you know yeah okay. and a ukulele and he's just doing his thing right he's got all the money that's <laughs> the ukulele it's I knew a, I was missing a prop um, <laughs> you, you keep whoever you have who's amazing so mm. head of operations has been with me for about 10 years he's been with me through Nova Capital through uh, all my previous companies basically right so he's there Roman he's still there with us now um, we got another we got our content marketer as, a, as an intern she came through another company called Inspiring Interns she did a few few months as a test run and initially all she could do was write uh, you know she was a really good writer but she didn't really get the tech scene she didn't understand how to kind of do the whole marketing side now she like runs our blog she runs all the digital marketing that we're doing she totally gets it she's like in the sort of six months or so she's been there she's picked up what doing a startup is all about you know and then finally we've just got the, the our ninth hire well, our ninth person uh, Greg and he was you know a very specific kind of individual that we needed somebody with kind of real-time analytics knowledge back-end stuff so somebody who could help us expand a lot of our integrations and things like that and actually there we went for an old school approach we had to hit a recruiter because it's such a such a specific niche that we needed to fill Um, and we we interviewed a whole bunch of people and no one quite fit and you know culture is is so important I bet you everybody who sits in this chair is talking about yeah it's all about culture totally true Mm -hmm. so somebody who had that skill set and also fit with the company culture we didn't manage to find directly ourselves through a network or anything else so we went out 
to a recruiter and again interviewed a whole bunch of people and and, and got him. So so volume. I hear volume coming up here. Yeah, which I haven't heard from everyone. I mean, like you really like to see as many people. As Absolutely. Possible. Yeah. And when it comes to culture, do you have to meet them multiple times, or do you get the vibe right away? We've we've got a solid process. And actually, so on my blog, I've got a thing about yeah, an article about how your company shouldn't be a company; it should be a cult, right? And this this is a term. I, it's not. I haven't coined it. It's been covered quite a few times mm, before. Okay. But so we run it like that. Okay. Um, as a, as a first step, you know, we do the interview. One person does the interview, and that's the kind of you know the the rubbish test. You you get rid of the people that just don't fit at all. Then they've got to be willing to come in for a full day. And on the full day, they do a project, they do some work, and then they go for lunch, right? So that's the kind of social test. They see what's going on. See and how they eat. Exactly. They see how they eat. See, and what see they how eat? they treat the waiters and waitresses. True. Yeah. So true. It's a big so, one. That's good for is. girls, too. It's yeah. a good shit test for girls. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, in tech, you normally find people treat waitresses very nice, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's never normally a problem. Yeah. Um, and the third one is, is the gauntlet, right? So if they pass the first and second, they've got to run the gauntlet. I don't know how long I can keep that up for, but at the moment, it's still going. They've got to be interviewed by every single person in a row even if that takes four hours five hours it doesn't matter and wow. everyone has to say yes and it, and everybody is allowed to say no it doesn't matter how much time we've sunk into that if they say no we don't like this person and they could justify why then we agree and we start again because each one of the people in my team right now right they are they are very valuable they are a core part of the team and if their effectiveness is going to be reduced by a new person coming in i'm not having that right so the four founders we're not going to allow that to happen so we run this gauntlet and it takes time and it's, you know, it's, it's a problem in terms of scaling because, you know, when you have 20 people, what are you going to do? Have 20 interviews? So at some point it's going to have to stop. Mm. But while we're this startup mm. and while we're loving what we're doing, this is how we're going to do it. This is going to be a clip on YouTube called the recruitment gauntlet. Yeah, another just on this the recruitment side. How do you sort of monetize? It? Do you give your employees warrants and options? Like more, I know a lot of people say that. That's such a big piece in mm-hmm. the valley, and it hasn't really transferred over here. So I just out of your what, to- totally true. Yeah. We're we're doing the MI scheme, the option scheme yeah. uh, in January, um, and so we, we everybody who joins will get options. Mm-hmm. They have to be with us for a certain amount of time. So we don't hire with options. It's not part of the starting package. Yeah. We want those people to to really prove that they're going to stay with the company, that they believe in the company, that they fit in, and everything else. So you know, a couple of guys are going to get options very very soon. We're super excited about that you know we're, we're really happy for them mm-hmm. to to be supporting the company and we want to give them something back in terms of the growth that we're going to see soon yeah. and hopefully the rest will also get that when their time passes and you know we're going to keep doing it there's a chance yeah. that some of the senior hires when they come in you know some of the top level guys as you build the management team and so on yeah. we'll have to give them options straight away as part of the package but i think in terms of employees it's really important for them to show their dedication and First. not to start bargaining about oh you know how many options do i get and so It's a tricky thing. I've worked at companies in the past where there was a lot of options. There was a question about vesting. There Mm. were some guesses on market capitalizations based on where other companies have gone public. And Mm. I found that once the event happened and over time, you almost – it almost was – counterproductive because people were not in the company because they love what they did or they wanted to make it better. They were always checking their net worth. Mm. And then once they had a certain amount and it went lower, then you had these negative effects. And I don't know. It's tricky. It's true. Yeah. It's tricky to yeah. make it work out. Your, right. your paper, paper millionaires, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, Loads of them around at the moment. Right? <laughs> sure. yeah. Yeah. No, Ivan, we always ask everybody in this chair a few questions and I'm going to hit you with them right now. If you could make a phone call to the 20 year old Ivan and give that young man a bit of advice. Yeah. 
what would you tell him to do or not to do? Amazing. I, I would tell him to not give up. So can I go back a few more years, not yeah, 20? Yeah, yeah right? 20? No, no. But way more. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know, 14, 15, 15 right? Because okay. basically I was super, super nerd, right? Double super until about 15. Double super? Yeah, double super. <laughs> and uh, I came to this quite late, but then I discovered girls, right? Like a 15, right? I mean, this is what happens when you go to boarding school, etc. You don't really meet girls, you know, anyway. So then that happened and programming and all the geeky stuff, which I was really good at, fell by the wayside, right? Now it was all about, hey, let's go and chill in a cafe or whatever. You know, it was all about kind of spending time with people socializing and so on. Mm. And then that dragged out for a few years. And actually, when I got to Cambridge the first time, I'd taken a gap year. I'd started my first business during my gap year. I wasn't even that interested anymore in mathematics and statistics and everything else. It was hard to get back into it. What I would tell him is actually that basically what I thought was the future was the future. And that all of this stuff about socializing, hanging out and just generally, you know, enjoying life, that's just a trend that you're going to get bored of very, very quickly so don't fool for it you know there's no reason why i shouldn't be my cto right now right he's he's actually smarter than me i find it hard to admit but he is right (laughs) but there's no reason i can't be at least you know at least somewhere near his level being of coding ability um and i I wish i did have that so that would be my bit of advice okay that's why i haven't heard that one before give up on socializing yeah don't socialize (laughs) the women there women are a trap yeah Yeah, a bit of socializing is fine women are a short-term trend (laughs) you kind of you get to the point in life where you're like actually you know all this kind of sitting around a a computer screen no that's stupid that's not going to get you any where, you know, let's go and build a whole big sort of social circle of friends and right. have cool people to hang out with and be considered cool and all of this. And actually, that's the, the passing trend. You know, that's the one that doesn't stay indefinitely. All you need is a couple of strong people in your life, you know, mm. a good sort of wife, girlfriend, partner, you know, your family and some strong, strong friends. And then afterwards, you can, I mean, you can change the world, right? If you dedicate yourself in the right way. That's good advice. I like that. On that yeah. same note, what's the best advice you've ever received? Wow. Okay. So it's from a book. Um, it's, it's probably not the best advice. I can't put anything in terms of the best, but there's one that springs to mind right now. And I, I find that I relate very well to people that read the same book at the same time. Uh, it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, right? And loads of people read it. So I read it during my gap year. So the first thing I did, I left, I left school. I, I, I got my A-levels and everything. And I thought, what do I want to be? I want to be successful as a businessman, as an entrepreneur. And I read all about like stock market investing and it just seemed really boring. And then, you know, I'd read all about, but the big thing at the time was property. And so I read this book and, you know, in, in it, it says, so you can go and you can work or you can work to build something, right? And, it, and they call it a passive income stream and all of this. But the point was that instead of doing something linear where you, you know, you have a bit of an increase and a bit more of an increase and so on, you build something that scales exponentially. And in the book, it was all about property. So, you know, you buy some investment property, you wait for the rental income, you buy another one and so on and so forth. And actually that was my first business that was what I did and then I created an estate agent out of that and I did lots of property related stuff but that concept of building something that's scalable exponentially not just having a linear path through life where at the end of it you're you know maybe 40 times uh, or, you know, whatever, 40 increments more than you were. What I want is to be able to do a thousand x right? I mean people have shown that that's possible and using that, you can then take that to the next step. So, you know, look at Elon Musk. He did a, a, a software company, quite a generic software company, and made lots of money. Then he did a massive PayPal life-changing software company, and now he's doing $3 billion life-changing companies, right? Like, that, that is the kind of thing that I want to do. I never had such a person uh, in my life. There were no Elon Musks at the time, but that book that I read just put me on a path of not thinking about anything linear, just thinking about how to get to a 1,000x in a very short amount of time. 
I like that. That's very good. The last part of that question is to the 20-year-old listening to us right now on iTunes, watching us on YouTube, what, what advice do you give to them? You know, they want to get into the tech sector. Mm. They want to be like you someday. What, what do you tell them? Um, I guess don't be the the entrepreneur, right? So don't do the 42 tasks like I did. Don't think, yeah, I'm going to build this. It sounds quite cool. People will come. I'll get investment. That's just not how it works. I think maybe this is just my personal approach, but I like to learn from people who've really done it. And And everything now is available, right? So when I was 20, on the internet, you couldn't find stories about how to create a startup. You didn't have blogs. Right now, anybody who's got a successful startup, most of them are blogging about it. This is how I've done it. This is why I'm doing it. That information's out there. So before you go off and spend two, three years on an idea for a website, that you know, a social network for cats, that's happening. Someone's doing that now. I saw that recently, right? Before you go off and do that, like maybe just have a look at how social networks were created. Just compare that to your business model and see, is this possible? And if it's not, go and look around for a long time until you find a niche. And we think we found that with Ametria. You know, we spent a very long time doing that research until finally found that, yeah, this is what, what can be done. Um, so I just say that. You know, definitely jump in, but jump into the research. Don't jump into making something because you think it will just work out. Good advice, man. There is so much info out there right now. It's really hard to come up with much of an excuse if it comes to, like you said, doing your dill do, due diligence, checking the market, even diet, exercise. There's so much info out there. Watch every episode of this show. Yeah, watch every episode of Silicon Real at (laughs) siliconreal.com. What did I miss, Colin? Tell me. And read (laughs) ivanmazur.com, my blog. There we go. I I think we could could be going on here forever. We haven't even touched on your your property, sort of non-tech business, or you're an author as well. Mm. You have to come back for London Real, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I've never made that that offer before. I, I would yeah, love to. I would love yeah. to. Thank you. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we could, yeah, go, we could on go on. Right. Um, it's been great. It, this was awesome. Um, thanks so much for the insight on this. If they, people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Twitter? You uh, know, so any, any social network. I, I literally have everything. So www.ivanmazur.com. Big email link on there. Uh, I post very rarely. I post every two weeks, maybe something like that. So I don't spam people. It's all about my journey. It's all about my learnings from investing and, and, and running a metria and so on. Um, and there's Twitter, Facebook, you know, LinkedIn. A- anything you can do, it's all up there. Just you know, hit me up. Always, always happy to, to talk some interesting people okay awesome uh, we have our new silicon real website coming up it's looking sure. pretty hot yeah looking good. very fresh so that's happening we're at twitter at silicon real um support colin from november check out your kickstarter we'll Perfect. retweet that yeah and the uh, new website when it comes out uh, we, you know we're gonna be looking for more help some guest blogs stuff like that so yeah. if that's something that interests you reach out and uh, we'll have a chat. Maybe uh, Ivan will blog for us. Or Definitely. Like rip a little Definitely. piece of his blog. Not yeah. a problem. Okay, that'd be yeah. cool. Um, Ivan, it's a, a huge pleasure to meet you. You know, I saw your uh, pictures of you at Eaton on the website and I didn't know what to expect, but actually you're okay. <laughs> thank you. And thank very, you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> it really does. No, thank you. <laughs> that says a lot about me. So um, as we say on the show, it's about the people. Um, thanks so much for coming. All the best. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. That went fast. Whew, I did go fast. It's good, eh? That, that was, was awesome. That was a great one. Love it. It was just over now. You, you need at least 10 investments. Okay. Right? Because you know, otherwise the risks involved is, is just unsustainable. So firstly, before that, you have to have this, this money has to be losable. Right? It, well can't, it, can't, it can't be money, you know, it can't be money that your quality of life depends on. Right, right, because because then your emotions are going to be totally skewed in terms of in terms of your involvement like with a these good companies. Trader from the yeah. city, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly what a city trader. Um, is.